So here we go. We are in the last of our series, My Dad Can Beat Up Your Dad. And so when I read Exodus 1 through 15, that's kind of the phrase that I attached to understanding what Exodus 1 through 15 is about. So what I want you guys to do, just to kick it off, just to get you thinking, if you were to come up with a phrase to summarize Exodus 1 through 15, what is another way that we could do that, okay? So we haven't done 15 yet. Um, So what are other phrases that we could use to describe the first 15 chapters of Exodus? Talk with the person next to you. You can flip back to Exodus 1, 2, 3, 4, whatever. Think it's... I didn't say anything. <laughs> okay, everyone's quiet. Here we go. Um, what do you guys think? What do you got? Yes? Um, uh, basically just like how God... Okay, I forgot. What was the question? Uh, it was like, <laughs> we're leaving whether you like it or not. Nice. <laughs> we're leaving whether you like it or not. That's good. I like that. Yes? God's gun show. God's gun show. Putting on the gun show. Yeah? Don't mess with God. Yeah. Good. Those are great. Anything else? The God who delivers. The God who delivers, right? Another one bites. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of said along the lines of like Israel versus Pharaoh. Like, yeah. Like yeah. Just going back and forth between Israel and Pharaoh. Another one bites the dust. Nice. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. <laughs> That's great. Okay. So, real quick run through of Exodus. And then we're going to jump into chapter 15. So remember chapter 1 is all about two things. Number one, the people are just multiplying like rabbits, okay? Just like God promised that they would in Genesis. And yet, there's this great oppression signified mainly by these male babies being thrown into the Nile. Horrible, horrible event. But we see behind the scenes in chapter 2 that God is starting to raise up a deliverer. He's got Moses miraculously thrown into the Nile, but in a basket. And meets the princess and is saved from the Nile, and is being raised up as this deliverer. But it doesn't happen the first time Moses comes out to deliver the people. Instead, he ends up running away to the wilderness, where God meets him where? At the burning bush, right? So chapters 3 and 4, God meets Moses, and he says, I'm going to send you to deliver my people. Um, and, And Moses goes, and when he tells the people, what is their response? Do you guys remember? It says that they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Okay, now it's, it's interesting to hear that, that at the end of chapter 4 because right after that, things just get worse. And Moses and the people suffer because Pharaoh says, oh, you want to go? Well, now you have to build bricks with no straw, right? And the harshness of the slavery makes life so hard for the people that even though God comes in chapter seven or 6 and affirms his promise to them that I am your covenant God, I am going to deliver you, it says in chapter 6 that the people did not listen because of their broken spirit and because of the harsh slavery. So it was so hard they couldn't even hear hope that they would one day be free. So God turns to Moses and says, let's start with these plagues. And chapter 7 through 11 is all about these first nine plagues. And as these plagues are happening, there's these key phrases throughout the plagues where God says, this is so that you may know that there is no one like me. And this is to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In other words, God is saying the reason that I am hardening Pharaoh's heart and allowing there to be plague after plague after plague is so that everybody, not just in Egypt, not just in Israel, but in the whole world would know that I am the most powerful God, that I am God alone. And then we get to chapters 12 and 13 and we read about the Passover and how this final plague is going to take place. And, and, And we take 
a really long time to talk about not just what the final plague is, but how they're supposed to remember it forever. Because it is the sign of God's redemption. And it involves some really important images. Remember the images? A lamb without blemish. No bones broken. Killed. Blood spread over the doorway. Okay? Death, uh, the destroyer, passes over those homes with blood over their doorway. Right? A really important image because it's going to come rushing back in the person of Jesus Christ, isn't it? So, so that's one reason why a couple chapters of we want to remember this. And then last week we talked about chapter 14, the Red Sea crossing, this awesome story of them coming to the edge of the Red Sea. They look like they're trapped. God's wind blows, and the most miraculous thing to occur in all of history up to this point takes place. That a sea actually splits in half so that a nation can walk across on dry land, and then when the Egyptians get in there, it comes crashing back down on them, destroying the most feared and powerful nation in the world at the time. And it ends in chapter 14 with this verse. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. In other words, you guys remember back in chapter 4? Moses showed up and told them God was going to deliver them and they worshipped and they bowed down. That's the last time we've heard of them worshiping and bowing down. Throughout the rest of these chapters, they're just suffering and they're in too much pain to even worship the Lord. And finally, they're on the other side of the sea and it's the first time that we hear once again that Israel worships the Lord. So we want to read chapter 15 and we're going to read the Song of Moses. Um, And this is his response. So, So you can just picture how the emotional roller coaster of them being delivered and then appearing to be trapped up against the sea and then seeing the sea open up and then feeling like they're safe and then seeing the Egyptians coming rushing in after them and thinking maybe we're not safe and then seeing the sea come crashing down, destroying Egypt's army and then you can just imagine that the waves and water calmed down and there was silence and the only proper response of the people was to sing and to worship God for what he had done. So here's what Moses writes. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. 
You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. (coughs) Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. To the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought uh, brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So having witnessed this most miraculous event, Moses writes a song and the people worship. So I want us to think about worship this morning. And I want to begin with this question. How do you feel about singing in church? What do you think about music? You know, when we get up here and we sing, or when we go in there and we sing, what do you think about the songs that we sing? I mean, do you sit there and think, hmm, like this one, I don't really like that one, or none of them really, you know, none of them sound like what I hear on the radio, so none of them are really my cup of tea. Do you enjoy singing, or is it, you know, everyone else is standing up, so I should probably stand up, I don't want to be the only one standing by my sitting. So we've got a lot of different responses to music, right? Okay, some of us, you know, we hear a song on the radio, and we're like, screaming it out the window. But then we get in the church, we're like, imperceptible, we don't even know what's coming out of our mouths. Or we sing a song and you're half asleep and and then the musicians do this like funny instrumental part that you're not used to and you're the only one who goes, and praise, and the only one singing now, right? Because we're not really paying attention to what we're doing. So I want us to think about worship I want you to think about your worship and why we do what we do, okay? So Exodus 15, first point, what did they sing about? What's worth singing about? So I want you to take Exodus 15 in front of you, run your eyes over it, and um, if you see something, raise your hand, and let's, let's make a list of things that they found were worth singing about in Exodus chapter 15. Okay. Hello. 
quiz over 30 adversaries? Yeah. So adversaries is just another word that means their enemies. Okay? So God has overthrown their enemies, their adversaries. Drew? Uh, the first person, my, here, right? It's not just us that he saved, it's me. He saved me. My strength, my song, my salvation. Good. Elise? Um, just like, it's kind of at the end, but you will bring them and plant them on your mountain, and then the place, O Lord, which you have made for your boat, the sanctuary, Lord, which your hands have established. So bringing this idea of bringing home and coming back safe. This is really sweet. You don't necessarily pick up on this, but what does God save them for? He saved them not just to get them out of Egypt. It's not like, okay, now you're free to go wherever you want. He's taking them somewhere. He's taking them to his holy abode. He's taking them home with him. And when was the last time they were home with him in the story of the Bible? Genesis chapter 2. So God is not just saving them from slavery. He's bringing them back to the state of the Garden of Eden when God, it says, walked in the cool of the evening with them. God has saved them not just from something, but to something, and it's a relationship with him. He's bringing them back into a relationship with him. Yeah? He says, you love, you said, best love, the people who knew your duty, you have guided them with by your strength to your, your holy So for Jesus. Right, and remember from our cross talks last summer, redeem just means saved out of slavery, brought them out of slavery, brought them back, Adam? Uh, it says, who is like the Lord among the gods, who is like majestic holiness, awesome for you, and others. So he's shown that he's better than all the other gods, small g, and last thing I'm going to add in there is that God has shown that he's a warrior, Right? It says right there that the Lord, you are a warrior. The Lord, the, he's a man of war. The Lord is his name. And we have to remember, what are the big questions that we've been asking throughout Exodus? One of the big questions is when Pharaoh, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And how does Pharaoh respond? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Remember that question? And it's a huge question in Exodus because it sets up this big power struggle between God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, Who's the Lord that I should obey him? And at the end, when Pharaoh is dead in the Red Sea, the answer is, the Lord is a warrior. That's who the Lord is. And he just whooped you up, or whooped up on you. That was the wrong way to say it, but he whooped up on Pharaoh, okay? Pharaoh's dead. That's who God is. That answers the question of who God is. Okay, so that's what they sang about. The question that I want to ask next is this. Why did they sing? Why did they sing all of these things at this point in time? It's not a hard question, but what, what would you say to the answer that? It's just a great way to worship corporately in the praise time. Right? Yeah, so it's a great uh, thing to do to worship corporately as one body. But yeah, I'm going to stay with you, Hannah, because I just want to. Why write the song right here? It's a 
remember right away and reflect on what you just did. Yeah, because it just happened, right? It just, it's not like this is Moses when he's, you know, 50 years later. Oh, I should have written a song about that really special. No, we got to stop right now and we got to write a song and we got to remember this because this is amazing. What just happened was amazing. Katie, you have something to add? Right. Yeah, he's just fulfilled his promise. And so I want to make this point. The reason they sing at this point, and the reason that we ought to sing, is because we are responding to what God has already done on our behalf. Okay, so this is a response to what God has done for them right then and there. I'm going to give you an illustration of this, right? So how many of you gotten your wisdom teeth out so far? Not that many? Seriously, put your hand up if you've gotten your wisdom teeth out. Oh, okay. I thought that was a more common occurrence. (laughs) Anyways, okay. Um, So, maybe they don't do that anymore. I don't know. I'm not up and up on the dentistry stuff here. Is it really? Okay. Well, that was my experience, okay? So, here's, here's my analogy, okay? I've known a lot of people who've gotten their wisdom teeth out, right? At no point... Did I feel compelled to go over to their dentist and say, thank you so much for taking their wisdom teeth out? I mean, really, great work. I mean, the incisions and the healing, I could hardly tell. They looked like a chipmunk for a few days, but after that, they were great, you know? Never did that. But when it came time to get my wisdom teeth out, I had a little bit of an ordeal with it, okay? So I was an adult at this time. I was in graduate school, um, so outside my parents' home, which really means one thing. I'm the one who has to pay for it, okay? So I had this insurance plan that really wasn't that great, and I had multiple dentists tell me I had to get my wisdom teeth out. They were impacted. They were in the bones. They were coming up in bad places, whatever. And I would say, great, can you do it? And they'd say, oh, we don't take your insurance. So if you do it, you have to pay everything, thousands of dollars to have this done because they were going to have to put me to sleep, which just adds the cost to it, whatever. So after this kind of ordeal, I finally find this dentist who will do, take my insurance. I just have to pay a little bit of money, and he'll take my insurance. So um, he does the whole procedure, and I remember, this is the first and only time I've ever been put under, okay? I remember, you know, first of all, I remember him, you know, putting the needle in and saying, you'll be asleep in 10 seconds. And I'm like, no, I won't. I feel fantastic. And so I decided to test his theory, and I started counting. And at about seven, I just stopped caring. And the next thing I remember is the nurse shaking me and saying, you know, it's time to wake up. You're, you're done. And so, you know, my sweet wife was there to take care of me. And I remember um, the nurse walking me down the hallway, and I'm like both hands on both sides of the hallway because I am so groggy at this point. And um, she has to take an x-ray of your mouth, Right. Uh, to see that everything's good, and, and we're getting the x-ray machine, and I stop her. I'm like, just totally like a drunk person. I grab the nurse, and I'm like, tell Dr. Sheasley I said thank you. <laughs> because I was so grateful, even in my totally drugged up state, that he had taken my insurance and gotten this thing off my chest. And I was like so concerned. Well, how am I going to pay for this? And she's like, Yes, yes, I will. <laughs> and the next thing I remember is she put me in the, you know, you stand up to get your teeth x-rayed, you know, and I like, I'm like I fell asleep standing up. <laughs> uh, they had to wake me up and bring me out again. And 
the next few days were just a blur, honestly. Vicodin, sleeping, and that's all I remember. My wife would wake me up and change the gauze in my mouth. Very nice of her. Anyways, the analogy is, why did I feel the need, even in like a totally out-of-mind state, to stop everything and make sure that they knew how grateful I was? Well, it's because I experienced his grace of taking my insurance. And it's the same reason why we sing today. If you find that you are like, man, I just don't feel like singing. I'm not great at singing. I don't like to sing. Well, the question isn't whether or not you like singing. The question is whether or not you've experienced something that causes you to sing about. If you don't experience God's grace to you and his love to you and his rescuing you from your sins, well, when it comes time to sing about it, you don't really have a lot to sing about. So that's my x-ray question for you today, for you to examine your heart and think about, if I don't sing, is it because, why is it? It's because I'm not experiencing what God has done on my behalf. Now, this can be a daily thing, right? So some of us, we come in and we don't sing well because our minds just, we're not thinking about all that God has done for us. But for some of us, it may be we've never experienced it. We've never experienced freedom from sin and God's rescue of our lives. And so we don't sing when it's time to sing. And I would hope that that changes for each and every one of us. Okay? Um, Two more quick points. One being... We don't sing to feel something. We sing because we feel something. Okay? So a lot of times when we go to a worship service, you might think, man, this is my song. This is my music. This is what I like. I like when they play 10 songs in a row because by the end of it, I feel something. And that's not how we should view worship. We should be able to sing any of the songs that are written with a joyful and praiseworthy attitude because we already feel something. And the song is just... (laughs) a vehicle to help us to say what we're feeling, okay? So that's, that's kind of an idea behind why we worship. So the last thing I want us to do is connect the dots from Exodus thousands of years ago to right here, right now, and us. So the crossing of the Red Sea was the event in Israel's history that was constantly looked back to as the defining characteristic of the nation of Israel. If you read From here on, you will see the number of times in Leviticus, um, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, the Psalms, the Proverbs, how many times it refers back to them being taken across the Red Sea. And it is very clear that they looked back on the Red Sea crossing in the same way that we look back at the cross. This was the moment that God delivered Israel and made them a nation, and it was worth singing about, which is why it would have been incredibly shocking for them to hear Isaiah say this. Isaiah writes this in chapter 43, 16 to 19. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. What does it sound like he's talking about? Crossing the Red Sea, right? So thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, brings forth a chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Thus says the God who brought people through the Red Sea. Forget about that. Why? Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. 
what we see in Isaiah is that as magnificent as the Exodus was, God says, forget about it. There's something better coming. And I want you to focus on that. And that's the cross. That's what all of Exodus is pointing us towards, to long for the day when we would be delivered from slavery to sin at the cross. And so I want to play a song for you that's been written all about that. We're going to watch it. And you've probably heard it because I played it. Thank you. 
So, those guys are playing in concert this summer, only an hour away. Who wants to come with me? Let's do it. Let's all go to the concert. Okay. So, that'll be something we'll do later on. Um, so, what types of themes do we hear in this song? God is our rescuer, right? He's redeemed us. He set us free. Does it sound similar to Exodus 15? So what God did and what the people worshipped God for on the shores of the Red Sea is exactly what he did for us on the cross. He just extended it from Israel to all humanity. And he took it from physical redemption to slavery to spiritual redemption from what would send us to hell and gives us freedom from sin. Okay? So it's the same story writ large so that everybody can be a part of it and not just for a period of time, but for all of time, which is why we see in Revelation, in heaven, look at this, in heaven, and I saw what happened to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the uh, uh, standing beside the sea of glass. They're standing by a sea. They're standing by the sea with harps of God in their hands and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. They're the same song. Moses' song and the song of Jesus. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For you are righteous. Uh, your righteous acts have been revealed. The great song that we will sing in Revelation is the song the, the, in heaven, is the song praising the mighty acts of God, claiming that he is our forever king, and acknowledging that he has saved us so that we can be in a relationship with him and so that he can bring all nations, us included, home and worship with him. And so we're going to end our series by singing Rescuer by Ren Collective. So worship team, you guys can come back up and they are going to lead us in singing this song. <laughs>